Today we are talking to Mercedes, the CTO at Nightscope, and we discuss investing in people who invest in themselves, tips for gaining confidence, and the crime-fighting robots her company makes are so cool I go visit their office in California. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So I was scrolling through my feed one day Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn and I saw the future and I took a screenshot of it and I sent it to Chloe. I said, Chloe, this is like, first I thought it was like a 3D rendering, like it was fake, right? A little Uh, R2D2 thing bouncing around um, the the parking lot looking all futuristic. Then I found, I, I dug deep and I saw that it wasn't fake. Like these things are actually out there. And then I said, Chloe, you have to have these, you got to call these people, figure out who their CTO or their leader in technology is. You've got to have them come on the show because this right here is like Tesla level, like stuff. This is what the future is and you guys are building it. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, it's, you were building a self-driving car. It's exactly the same technology. The only difference is that ours is smaller and there's no people inside. So we have to do everything that a safe car has to do, a driving car has to do. We have to avoid obstacles. We have to speed up when we need to get somewhere. We have to stop when people are wanting to cross the street. All of that technology is the same, exactly the same that what you have in a Tesla car today. I love it. But let, let's, let's back up a little bit because I want to know more about who you are as a person. So please share with me, your earliest love of technology? Like when did you first experience technology? So I wasn't born here in the U.S. I was born in South America. And it just so happens that my mother's side of the family lives in Canada. So obviously, Canada is usually ahead of technology than South America. So I'm from Ecuador. And when I was, I was young, I was probably, I didn't finish my primary school yet. My uncle from, from Canada comes with this box. And he says, hey, this is called the Commodore 64. <laughs> so now I am dating myself. But he comes up with that and he starts to teach me, hey, you can write this code, you can make it do these games, and you can do all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Can I have another one? So he would bring different types of computers when we come, he would come to visit. And then little by little, I would start to get into those a little bit more. Uh, and then in Ecuador, when you're going to high school, um, you have to choose. You have the option to choose between three different focuses in your college. You can choose uh, between biomedical, you can choose between physics and math, or you can do social sciences. So at that point, I decided I'm going to physics and math because that is the path that will take me to a computer science career. Uh, so I studied that. There was a lot of math. There was a lot of physics because they don't teach you things like here in the U.S., they tell you, learn to play music, do physical activity, all the stuff that they teach you, the basic studies that you have to go through to go to college. So I didn't have any of that. So as soon as I started my college in Ecuador, it was all computer science all the way. And then via my school, there was a one-time exchange program between my school in Ecuador and Middle Tennessee State University in Tennessee, of all places. So I was able to come to the US to study computer science. And then I studied there and I got a master's in computer science. And then I was, I decided I might want to stay in this country. I really like it. So I took a chance and I applied to about 50 to 100 different companies. And I only got calls from three. So out of those three interviews, I got one job offer and that's how I stayed. And then my career has always been computer programming, science, technology, that, that type of stuff. So you, you started out writing code, right? You actually, did you have experience writing code or did you just have love for the technology? Um, I started writing code in my first year of my um, bachelor's degree in Ecuador. That's because awesome. Because when I came here, I already had a bachelor's degree in computer science. So I did three years in the US in Ecuador and I did a lot of, back in that time it was Pascal, yeah. <laughs> it was basic and that sort of thing. And um, my degree, you have to defend a thesis when you graduate. So mine was how to write an account of accounting system from scratch. That was my thesis in Ecuador. That's amazing. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a basic one, but we had to do all the work that that, that entailed, you know, credits and debits and the money comes out of this account, goes into the other one, you print checks this way, all of that good stuff. And then when I came to the US, when I started to get involved in things like HTML and web development, at that point, we used to have the chat windows that people used to talk through on the internet when the internet was really new and got more into a lot of Microsoft type technology. I did Visual Basic, uh, I did e-commerce servers, I did office servers, all of that. I was Microsoft all the way for a long time. And then when I started evolving in my career and I realized that what I really wanna do was uh, web applications, that's when I decided to move into things like Python, HTML, JavaScript, that sort of thing. Nice. And, and then how did you end up at Nightscope? So that was, I used to work, I worked, are you familiar with a company called Deloitte? It's a yeah. professional services firm. Okay. Yeah, they're like so massive. <laughs> right. It's like 150,000 employees So around the world. So I worked there and then my client used to be in Atlanta. So I would travel from Nashville, Tennessee to Atlanta very often. And then in one of those trips, I met Bill, who's the CEO of Nightscope. Uh, and we started to talk about, hey, what do you know about technology? I'm starting a company. We'd love to have you over. And then eventually they convinced me to start what is now Nightscope. So I was employee number three. And I have to get everything from the beginning, right? We didn't have anything. Uh, we didn't have anyone to say, this is how you're going to build this. So we're thinking about, okay, so I have a robot that is going to move around. What kind of information do I really need to have in this robot? Okay, so I want to be able to detect a license plate. So I need a camera. Okay, this camera needs to be able to see so the computer vision came in because now we need to detect that there's an image, there's a license plate. And then they come in and the speed. Well, we have to do a local because if we send it to the cloud, then it takes time to go back and forth. And if I'm a security application, I need a better processing power and I can't wait for it to come back from the cloud. So those are the initial decisions that we had to make that I had to be, okay, this is, the good, this is the good thing to do and this is not a good thing to do. What do we leave in the machine? What do we process in AWS? Do we even use AWS? All of those decisions from zero because we started with nothing. So I had to do all that from zero. And uh, we have a, a good platform right now. It's extensible. We do code deployments every two weeks. Uh, our DevOps team is pretty engaged and pretty busy. Uh, our engineers are doing, sometimes we do fixes every day because our customers want everything to be up all the time, right? They're very picky because it's security. Well, and we're here to serve the market. So we just figure out what they want, then we charge them accordingly so that the business can grow and they can get what they want. And the funny part for us is that there's been a lot of press coverage for Nightscope. So a lot of people think that the machine does some stuff that it doesn't do. Like, for example, I have people who come to me and they say, hey, I was at the mall and when the machine saw me, it started following me. And I'm like, well, the machine doesn't really follow people. But they have, but they think it does, right? So out of those things that people think that the machine already does, out of those come some really good ideas of, okay, this is something that we probably should do. For example, hey, we are at the mall and they're like, hey, do you detect temperature? We're like, oh, wait, because there's pipes at the mall, there's pipes of any other offices that you go to. And typically the security guards are checking these things to make sure that there's no accidents. So we're like, oh, bingo, we need a thermal camera so we can detect temperature. And little by little, the product has been evolving in terms of what we want to offer our customers. And the majority of it is about what they want. That's so neat. And yeah, then, so can it, like, can it buy a pretzel at the mall and bring it to me? Uh, not, not yet, <laughs> but what it could do is if you walk by it, it will detect your phone, your MAC address of your phone. It will take a picture of your face, run a VFA's detection. Uh, it will also, if you go outside to the parking lot, it will take a picture of your uh, license plate and determine what kind of car you drive. So the, the one thing that sometimes people get a little iffy about is this machine is collecting a lot of information about me and hey, privacy, right? Yeah. So what people don't usually realize is that um, when you go on your daily life today, you go to the grocery store and there's a camera right at the door. So they're taking your picture and they know where you are at all times. 
when you go to the bank, there's a camera when you take your money out. When you go, even when you go to wash your car, people now have cameras. So that whole perception of privacy doesn't apply when you're outside in a public place. So it technically applies when you're at your home and it's your decision if you want to put your house in a video or not. But as soon as you step out of your house, the expectation of privacy is really gone. And, and when people see the results of bringing the machines to their workplaces specifically, like corporate campuses, they're some of our biggest clients. Um, crime has really gone down to like zero, which is something we didn't expect, right? So there's places in which, for example, a, a hospital down in LA that we deployed at. So they used to have, they have a third shift in, because the emergency room has to be open 24-7. So there's a shift from 11 to 7 a.m. where people would just be afraid to go outside because there were uh, incidents two times a day, three times a day. Somebody would break into a car, uh, somebody would get assaulted, all those things. It's not a good hospital. <laughs> The neighborhood is not great. And to be honest, when we deployed a robot, we're like, what are they going to do to our machine, right? Oh, that's right. That's what we're thinking, right? And then what happened, we've been there for almost two years and the crime rate has down to zero. Nothing has happened in that place since the machine has been there. I just got back from the hospital like five minutes ago. Oh, are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. No, I had a, Monday, we had a baby boy, little Congratulations. Yeah. And then I saw, I saw a girl on your website. Is that the second baby? The, the girl's the first baby. Okay. So and now then you have this two. is the second baby. Yep. And then wow. I got back and one of my people got a little oh, baby. That's awesome. Call okay. of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. I know. You know, one of the things that people always ask me, they're like, how about kids? Right. And I'm like, I have robots. <laughs> <laughs> I have robots because I don't have kids, right? There's just no time. I will tell you. Yes. I'll tell you what. I would be happy with kids or robots. Like, I think robots are so (laughs) cool. Um, And yes, we, like you, we have a startup that happens out, like, along with the show. We had the show and then it got popular and then a startup came out of it because people were asking for content on the show and then we ended up saying all right fine we'll build a leadership program and then we ended up doing that which i saw you've got leadership awards you're a fantastic yeah, thank leader you. thank you thank how you. do you say the name of that organization is it a it's a b i e or something uh it's grace copper celebration is the event where they give you the award and you have to speak in front of eighteen thousand people but and it, then the, the, Abby, the award is called abby it's an abby, abby award. Yeah, okay. it's called Abby. It's uh, AnitaBorg.org. Uh, that is the organization that I worked for. She was the first female in technology that ever got awarded something. So mm. that's why, that's why, that's how they decided to use her name. And she was a, a very, she pushed, she pushed women in technology. She pushed for diversity, all those things that are pretty much we're still are pushing for. She was one of the first people, the pioneer and that sort of stuff. I'm going to send you a gift. Sure. What is it? Look at this. Hey, check it out. That's awesome. It's a, chil- it's a children's princesses. book. It's a children's book. It's called The Princess Physicist. She gets stuck in a tower, but instead of a yeah. man coming to save her, she finds a book on physics and saves herself. That is awesome. She oh uses my God. physics to get herself that out of the Awesome. That is wonderful. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I need that book. Yeah. I'm sending I'm you a go. copy. Cool. Thank you. Do you yes. buy it for your girl? Do you think I she's going to go on? Technology? I wrote it. Oh, you Sweet. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, my mom like just got, had a stomach ache, went to the hospital, had cancer, passed away in two weeks. Ooh, and sorry. yeah. And so my brother is a physician and my sister is a physics teacher. And I'm like this creative podcast engineer guy. And then, uh, so we said, Let's take the money that she left us. She left us $25,000 between the three of us. We each got like seven grand or something. So let's take that money. And uh, at the time, my wife was pregnant. We were having our our little baby girl. And we said, Mm -hmm. let's um, write some children's books, form a charity, spend all the money printing up thousands of children's books, and then giving them away to homeless pregnant women shelters, uh, foster families, in-need children, just donating all the books. And, you know, we kept a couple... uh, for ourselves and like to give away and things like that uh, for the foundation. But 
yeah, we, we did that. And so we called it the Beasley foundation. We named it after, um, named it after my mom because that's our last name. And then we, uh, did that as like a project. Took us about eight months to do all the books, form the 501c3, get all the paperwork, actually order all the books and go through customs, do all that stuff and then deliver them. But uh, I, we wrote two of them. I wrote Princess Physicist and then one called Back to the Moon, which is little brother and sister who uh, want to go to the moon. So that one's to encourage space travel because that's a little thing we okay. could, I, I'm not Elon Musk, but I can encourage <laughs> space travel through a children's book. And then this one's to encourage um, women in STEM. So, but that is such an amazing way to spend some money like that, you know? That's amazing because normally people would be like, oh, yeah, we have inheritance, we'll use it for something. But for you to think about, you must have already known that women in technology is something that maybe needs a little bit more push. That's why maybe you already knew that there's not as many uh, women uh, in technology. That's one of the things that I'm also very concerned about and that I try to work on, encouraging more women to come. Uh, to the field of science and technology. We're, yeah. still, we're still not there yet. Yeah, we have, uh, we have about 11 people here and we're 50-50 right now. Oh, you have my dream percentage. That's what I wish everywhere would be. We're at Night Cup, we're at 30%, which, which is also, it's good for where we are. And uh, Silicon Valley, typically a company like Google says, we're doing great. We have 17% women. And you were like, well, that's not great. And then Microsoft is doing great. We have 19% women. So but my, my personal dream, that what I want to get to with Nightscope is the whole holy grail of 50-50, right? Because there's more women than men actually graduating with computer science degrees these days. But somehow, right. they're not making, yeah, somehow they're not making it to leadership positions. There's a lot of, they kind of seem stuck at the middle management level. Uh, and then we have to work on getting them more incentivized to go up, to go above that. And that's some of the things that I've done. And that's one of the awards that you saw that I had won. Oh, well, excellent. Yeah, we're, yeah. I'm all about, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting line for me as an individual because I def, like I support it, but I'm also of the mindset of like, I want the highest quality people as they, like when I have a need, I look, I try to be, and I try to like, I struggle with it personally. Cause like I try to be indifferent, but at the same time, I know like this, this team, um, needs, needs this because it's a culture thing. Like sometimes, like sometimes you have to intentionally structure the teams at times. And so I, 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 it's a tough balance, right? Cause you want to be completely diverse and inclusive of everybody. Like you want to just say it's, it's about the talent and the skill and just first come first serve, I guess would be the closest way. But at the same time, it's like this, just this give and take this struggle. There's no like super clear answer on how to deal with it. So I just kind of go with it in each moment. And I try to be the best version of myself. And I try to be objective and get the right person for the for each job. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I, I read a lot of books, I'm, I love to read. If I wasn't in technology, I would have been an editor because I can read all day long, which is great for my job, right? Because I have to be out to speed with all the technologies. So I'm reading papers and uh, how to detect people, faces and a camera, how to do deep learning, all those things, right? Uh, but I re read about, and one of the things that they said in one of those books was, if you have a need, figure out what you need, and for every resume that you receive, do not show a name. And do not show, just, just do a Sharpie over the name and don't show it. And let people read their resume so they can read a resume for what the resume is, opposed to, hey, this is a woman or this is a guy. That's one of the things that we're starting to do on Nightscope. I like that. That's a good, that's interesting. I haven't heard that before, but that, that makes sense, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I, I'll tell you a story that what happened to me when I was a, when I had a prior company where I was, um, there was a guy who was a, he was a white guy. I have nothing against white guys. Don't get me wrong. It was just that he came to me one day and he said, I'm talking to you. So please don't think it's not a bad thing. So I'm more of a peachy he, color anyways. So peachy, there you go. you're peachy. Yeah, exactly. So he comes to me and says, ah, the only reason why you've gotten to so far in your career is because you're female and you're in technology and you're a minority. Are you kidding me? I was like, what? Excuse Somebody me? Somebody said that to you for real? That's like not made up? Not made up. But not for made sure. up. And I was like, I didn't even know what to say. I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, excuse me? He says, I want to know when we're going to have a diversity and inclusion team for white guys. And I was like, what? 
<laughs> anyway, so needless to say, the guy was like, oh, for other reasons, but uh, he did not <laughs> company. So obviously he had a problem, but uh, it was shocking to me because some people think that, but they're not actually saying to you, right? He actually said it to my face. So that was, that was important. And from that moment on, for me, at least the impact that I had on my life was that I'm going to work so hard and everything I do. So there's never, ever a doubt that I deserve the place that I have. So that's what that look, I'll tell you right here, you know, there's just, there's good people and there's bad people in life. Right. And yeah. like, don't ever let that hold you back mentally or like, I, I'm glad that you took it and you're using it as fuel. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I never would think that the reason, you know, someone's getting ahead is because of their, like their gender or yeah. like, just say, Oh, it's because you're that that's like such a weird thing to say. Here's what the world needs more of. And I think I can bring everybody together on this, especially the entrepreneurs and the overachievers like yourself. We need more hungry, driven, obsessed people that just want to do a good job and improve the world. Like we need Come more of that. Come tonight, Cub. <laughs> no, we're trying to recruit those types of people for our company. Um, <laughs> But I'm sure you know, because you're on yeah. the executive team, right? It's like, yeah. you have the executive team, you have that core five, seven people, maybe that are like all rock star players, and they just want to make it happen and change the world. And then you have to figure out how to deal with that as you scale, because yeah. that's so hard. How many people are you at right now? We're at 65 right now. Yeah, so you so guys are definitely experiencing trying. that. Like We're the trying. Oh, yeah. By yeah. Far. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we did at the beginning of our career was at the beginning of Night's Cup was we had a core five people that came. Um, three of us started at the beginning, and then we hired a CFO and a, a, another person. So one of the things that we really wanted to do was hire people who had the knowledge of what was current in technology, and it just so happened that it was a lot of recent graduates. So, but one of the things that we really scan for when we're looking to hire for somebody at Nightscope is we want two things. Number one, that emotional intelligence for you to be able to deal exactly with what comes your way and for you to understand that a startup is hard. And number two, they're just never happy. They, they have a customer-centric attitude that says, uh, okay, so if I was the customer, what would I want my robot, my robot to do? So those are things that we really look for. And obviously, we also look for, okay, can they program in Python? Can they do algorithms? Do these people know speech-to-text or whichever technology that we're using? That's kind of secondary. But what could make or break a person coming into Nightscope is those two things, which are very important to us. But like you said, I mean, those are the people that everybody wants to have in their teams. And that's why we have, especially in Silicon Valley, is we're fighting with the Facebooks and the Googles and all those people for the same talent, right? So one of the things that we offer as a company is you're going to be working with something that is cutting edge, you're saving people's lives, and you're making an impact. So that's how we sell the, the dream of Nightscope, and that's why people want to work, come work here. We've had 10,000 people apply to work at Nightscope. Imagine really? that. Going through all those resumes, we've only hired those few. That's amazing. Well... I believe it, right? Because it, they're yeah. hard. They're hard to find. But the good thing is, is like, I heard the terminology today. I'm one of the. I'm a big fan of Audible, so I listen to lots of Audible books. And, Me too. That's oh, how yeah. I get through books. Yeah. yeah. Why doesn't yeah. everybody do that? I know. I know. Yeah. It, it prepares know. me mentally for the day, and it's like it's good. It gets me. It gets my mindset. I think one day is gonna kill the Kindle, but hey, that's just me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna want to read anymore. It's just gonna be Audible. Yeah. I had the CTO of Walmart on the show <laughs> and yeah. they, they had like a week before he came on the show, they had released their version, their competition. Cause they're like a massive battle with Amazon, you know, Walmart and Amazon. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they just released their version of the Kindle. And I was like, dude, I love Audible so much. Have you heard about that? And he's like, no, he's like, I like Walmart books. And he like pulled it up. And I was like, I was like, Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, well, uh, uh, next topic, please. Yep, next topic. Sorry. No, but I, yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't checked out the app yet, but apparently they're doing like content exclusive things. Like some content will only be available through that, but I oh, will really? tell you what, I have a deep love for Amazon and I don't know why, but it's just because they make, I, I guess it's because they make my life so easy. 
So the current book that I'm listening to uh, and uh, an Audible is a Jeff Bezos book. If you just look, if you go to Amazon, oh, and, yep. And, know, oh, you I have know. the Forty oh, Principles. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. That's mm -hmm. the one I'm reading right now. And I, I think last week I did um, Insane Mode, Elon Musk. That's a good book too. Well, he's got a new that. book. It is not. A, he is not his book. Somebody wrote his biography. It's in that book. It's called Insane Mode. And it, it walks you through everything that happened at Tesla from the way they, from the time they started. So it's all not the this way one. No, no, that's a different one. No, okay. it's a different, different one. It's called um, Insane, Insane Mode. Mode. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote it down. I'm, I did not know there was another Elon Musk book. It's awesome. That was awesome. Yes. Yeah. So you're, you're, is your, you're physically located in Mountain View right now. And I saw on, I think your website, you guys have a showroom. And so you have, your robots available to be seen is that in mountain view that was in new york city oh, so that was some, it was in new york city we had it right a, a couple of blocks from times square okay we had it from october of last year until december 31st and the whole idea was we had a lot of customers in that area that wanted to know how the robots will work one of the things that you do is when you buy a robot it's not very simple, right? It's a complicated process because we sell it to big companies, Fortune 500 usually. So the procurement team has to approve, the IT team has to approve, the security team has to approve. So there's a lot of people approving and they don't usually buy a, make a purchase without actually seeing the machine. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of customers that were in the Northeast that we're selling to. And then we also were raising a round of funding. So there was a lot of investors over there. So we opened the showroom there. And we had it there for three months. It was insane. People were walking by and they would just walk in all the time. It, it was awesome for us, right? Because there was so much interest in the machine. Um, and then now we're doing one in LA for the next three months. So in we're LA? moving them. Around. Yeah, we're moving them around in the US. Uh, Is it open right on now? Not yet, not yet. When will it, will it be, be open? Today, later this year, probably. Oh, later this year. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be later this year, probably in the second quarter. If I okay. So I'm out there for like a week on the 17th of uh, March. Yeah, of March. I'm out there like not oh, next week, but the week after. And I'm going to doing a talk at, you know, William Sonoma? Yeah. Yeah. So Yasir is their CTO. And so I'm going to give a talk to all their technology uh, engineers and everything like that, all the people in technology. Yeah. What's, what's your talk about? Creating better leaders. Sweet. I in you technology. Were in technology, nice. Yeah. Hey, that's awesome. Is that is that's what your company does, right? Your um, your startup. That's what you do. Technology. Yeah. yeah. So we had people like you, great leaders, come on the show, and they're all sharing advice about how they went from individual contributor to first time leader to leading teams to engineering crazy products to running entire companies. And about four months into the show, some people asked they because they we have a big audience, right? And so they were writing to us and asking. They said, "We hear you." talk with all these great leaders about individual ownership, giving credit, diversity, all these different things. But how do we get our 25, you know, technology leaders to do this stuff with their teams? Like, how do we get them to take this action versus just being like, here's another book with 10 great things in it. And mm. I said, I don't know. But, <laughs> but then I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to get them to do it. I was and so we started whiteboarding it at the office and we were like well what if we took clips of the show and then we gave like so we had the CTO of NASA giving a piece of advice right and then we had steps to actually go execute that with your team and then you made an entry into like a text box or a journal or a diary we ended up calling it the reflect db because that was like way cooler than a like journal TV. yeah good. so like so now we're like you'll go do the challenge you'll do it with your team and and then you come back, you make an entry into ReflectDB about how it went, and then you get feedback on that from your manager or whoever. And so we built this basic version in, in like 10 days. We deployed it to a few people that had been on the show. They liked it, licensed it, and then I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on how to do sales. And then I did oh, sales. Oh, one of those, yeah. yeah. So, I, and then I did, so then I sent out emails and did sales, and I sold like, I've never done sales in my life. I sold $100,000 in like three months. And then oh, congratulations. That's right? great. I know. I was oh, like, this especially is awesome. if it's just you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it was me and then uh I had some uh, a team, Jake and some other people that were helping, you know, with data and, and building content. And then um I talked to somebody I knew in Tampa, because that's like an hour away from us, who right. 
does venture capital. And I said, Hey, look what I, look what I did. Maybe we should turn this into a company, like a bigger company. He's like, yeah. So we raised a first round of money and now we have 11 people and we just sell technology leadership. Wow. Hey, that's something. It's something. Yeah. Getting a VC to back you up is big, you know, that's big. We're excited. We, I- we are, we're raising a fund right now, actually, too. We're oh, raising oh, our, what would be our series S? We call it our S because the next series will be the IPO. Okay. So we're, we're raising 50 million. We've raised so far 46 million and we've gotten to the deployment in 16 states. It started with just California at the beginning. And then we deployed to uh, different time zones, different states, uh, because we, we needed to make sure that the machine was able to take weather and to be 24-7 and all of those things. So we went to different places like the Northeast. We went to Texas, everywhere where the weather is a bit not as pleasant as California. So we've proven that the machine works. We've proven that it does what it's supposed to do. And um, we're raising that money to get into our K7, which is the unit that is pretty much, it looks exactly like the car, like a car, like a self-driving car. Yeah, I saw it. That that guy is the the big product, right? So that's the one we're working on next. Uh, Because that, right now our units can be in parking lots, inside buildings, inside offices. But if you, so some of our clients want to, like PG&E, the electric and gas utilities company, they want uh, us to be securing their 3,000 facilities, right? But they have uh, gravel and terrain is not great. It's not asphalted. It's, it's very difficult terrain. So that's what that machine will do. You'll be able to go and just about any terrain that you want, wind farms, solar farms, that is our next step into um, making more machines for Nightscope. Because at the end of the day, what we want to be able to do is go to a customer and say, hey, uh, where is your location? What does it look like? Yep, we have a machine for you. So that's, that's, awesome. that's what we're working on now, yeah. You could, pair it so, with like a, you could pair it with a drone. And so they could have like eyes in the sky and like communicate with the one down below. That'd be cool. Yes, for the K7, it's actually going to have, uh, in the back of it, the, the door is going to open and we're thinking about putting a drone there. Because the oh, thing yeah. that, the thing that uh, about drones, you probably know this, is they only last about 20 minutes in the air. Mm-hmm. The battery can't be heavy, so it cannot be a perk on its own. It has to be part of something else. That's why we're incorporating it into the K7 machine. You have a drone that comes out. If there's a place that you need to get a little bit more closer to or something, it comes out of the back of the machine. It flies over to where it needs. Uh, and then we might we merge the information from both places and we give the customer what they need. That is so yeah. cool. Like yeah. <laughs> and, and guess what? We've already had at the beginning, we thought, okay, maybe in about five years or so, if we can prevent some sort of crime, we will feel like we've done something good, right? And now we've been live deployed since 2015. That is less than four years. We already have a dozen crime fighting wins that we can already say they're ours. Uh, For example, we prevented a fire at a shopping mall. We, um, based on our evidence, people uh, at the mall were able to capture a sexual predator that was basically exposing himself to people. Um, We've been able to prevent fraudulent insurance claims. Then we, when we've had a crime down to zero at the hospital, we've been able to capture people who have done hit and runs. So because the camera is running 360 degrees, right? So the machine has about 60 sensors on it of all the things that it can detect. So what we do is produce information all day long. And then the, the challenge for people like me is, okay, I have all this information that comes from this machine. But how do I show it to my customer in a way that it makes sense to them? So that's like the big thing for us, right? So we have a bunch of dashboards and we have applications and we have information coming from different types of servers. So all of that into an application that the customer can go open from every, anywhere they're at, enter their credentials. It's just a Chrome browser that that's all they need and they can see the status of their deployment. So we're, we're pretty happy with where we are so far. That is so exciting. Now, you and I want to talk a little bit more about the Abbey Award. How many people did you have to speak in front of to do that? 18,000 people. In one uh, location? In 
one location, yes. So I, I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into. That's the way I look at it. Because I was like, oh, look at that. That sounds good. I, I, they called me up, and they're like, hey, you were nominated, and you won an award. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. You, you would be doing any speech. I said, oh, okay, that's great. And then when I get there, they're like, yeah, I think there's eighteen thousand people for this conference alone. I'm like, but they're not all going to be in the room, are they? They said, you're the keynote speaker. They will be in the room. Like, oh my God! <laughs> like, I love what it. Did I get, what did I get myself into? So it was awesome though, because uh, it was the first time that I've been to a Grace Hopper celebration. It's been going on for like 60 years. And it's the only, the only time that I've been there. But it was awesome to see all of these women. It was all women, right? It was 99% of the people that were women, and there were a few men too. The, it doesn't mean that the uh, conference targets only women, men are also coming, but the majority of people who go are women. So, and then people start talking to you about your life and what your speech meant to them. There's people that have to like, this has been two years now, and I got a message last week on LinkedIn from somebody who saw me speak at the, at the um, AVI Award, and she said, I saw you, it's very encouraging, and I would love to stay in touch with you. And I have people come in like all the time, it, it was really, it was an amazing place to be. I really loved it. I loved the experience. And there's, if, if you want, if somebody wants to hire a lot of women in technology, I think that is the best place to go because that's where you're going to find all of this talent. There are a lot of them are graduating from college. A lot of them already have professions and careers, but that's like a recruiter's heaven. Because all these women and they're all technologists and they are looking, not, not all looking for a job, but everybody's going to listen to something if, if you want to offer them something. So it's a, it's a great place to go for a career, for sure. And so as, as you made this transition in your career and grew as a leader, I want a lot of the audience that we have, they listen to the podcast for this type of advice, right? Mm-hmm. They want an edge when they're trying to level up. Like, so let's, let's make a hypothetical one because I'm just going to make it up on the spot. Let's say you have individual contributor engineer on a team. It's been doing it year and a half, loves mm-hmm. it. Not really sure if they want to do the people track or the technology track, but they, they're definitely going to try the people management track, right? They, mm-hmm. they think that's a challenge. They're already good at technology. They think it's a challenge. They want to improve their people skills. And they want to make that next step. How would they go about doing that? So, so some of the things that we do, I'll tell you what I do at Nightscope and some of the yep. things that we used to do when I was at Deloitte. Mm-hmm. So you have the opportunity, if you want to start becoming a leader of more than, more than just an individual contributor, we start to give you an opportunity by leading projects first. So when you lead a project, you, depending on how your company is organized, you, the person who's the leader of the project has, sometimes they have HR responsibilities for the people who work on that project and sometimes they don't, right? So you give them some other responsibilities for the long length of a project, and they see how they do. You see how they do, and they see if, they, if it works for them or not. Because one of the, especially if you happen to have a project that by all means runs late, or, or the stakeholders are pretty picky about it, or it has some, something that's gonna make it more stressful, that person is going to realize if they can do it or, or they can't deal with it. And I've, been, I've had people in two situations. I had people who told me, Mercedes, I have no interest in leading this project and lead it anymore after this project. I only care about what I do. I just want to be a technologist. They don't want to lead. And I've had people after the project that said, hey, I love working with people. I love problem solving. I love, I love talking to them about their lives. I am interested in figuring out what they can do with their careers. I want to help them get there. And those are the people who are like, okay, you, you're ready. And then, and you don't, show, you don't say, okay, today you're an individual contributor, tomorrow you're gonna be leading a team. It doesn't work that way. You have to introduce them little by little. And the, the project route is the best, the best way that I have found that you can introduce somebody to management. And obviously they have to have somebody above them that are willing to train them. Because if they are gonna lead a project and they haven't done it before, there has to be someone in front that says, hey, if you have a problem, I'm the person for you to talk to. So that's what I've tried. I did that at Deloitte, and that's some of the stuff that we're trying here at Nightscope that is working really well for us. So that would be the, that would be the suggestion that I have for somebody if, they, if they're trying to do something like that. Okay, I like it. 
That's a good one. I, it's like a, it's like a trial, like a leadership trial, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then and then and sometimes and then you have people who have had these people who are already they they've already trained before they even take that project leadership, right? They know enough. If I recommended this to people as well, when we were at Deloitte or even now online, there's a lot of training in terms of how to how to manage people. So hell, you can go to YouTube and you find videos into how to manage people. Uh, if if I'm if I have someone who's interested and who's willing to give this project a try, I will say, hey, go a couple of weeks, try to watch some of these videos, see what you learn, and see if you have questions that can help you out. Uh, and then obviously the person that's helping them in that project, in this case, let's say it was me, I need to be prepared to invest some time into those people as well. I need to have a vested interest in them succeeding. So it takes some time, but the pay the the pay is just awesome because then people realize they want it or they don't want it. And it's their decision. It's not yours. They're the ones who decide, okay, I can do this, or I think I'm going to just go back to technical. So what stands out to you? Because you just mentioned a very important part, investing your time. Everybody <laughs> wants your time and everyone says they want you to invest time. But you as a person of um, high performance, you have to be careful about how you spend your time. So you have to decide who you want to invest in. And that's mm -hmm. very important, right? So what are some of the qualities or attributes of people that stand out to you that you say, they're doing that, that's right, I'm gonna consider investing my time in them? So the number one, the number one thing that I look for when I'm trying to figure out who I spend time with, um, I don't spend time with people that I don't know. So I get the emails and the LinkedIn messages. Hey, I don't know you, but I would like to have coffee with you. And you're like, I don't have time, I'm sorry. But for the people that I do spend the time with, the people that I do know, it needs to be something that they consider valuable. Because I'm, it's, maybe this is something just for me. But if somebody is not grateful for the time that you spend with them, if, they, if for them it's just whatever, I don't spend my time with those people. But those who have shown me that they're interested in the topic we're going to discuss or the path that they want to take or they're going to take my advice and actually act on it, those are the people that I spend time with. Uh, and I don't mind spending a lot, a lot of time with someone if I know that they're going in the right direction. But if, if there, sometimes you have people who just give it the lip service, right? You never know them and they come to you and they say, hey, I love what you're doing. I would love for you to be my mentor. And you're like, but I don't know you. Right, and then there's some people who come to you and say, "Hey, you don't know me. Uh, I would like to maybe talk with you um, for five minutes on the phone. These are my credentials. This is what I'm trying to do. This is the work that I have already done." You know, they put time into preparing for that five or whatever ten minute call with you. Those are the people that I invest my time with. Yeah, because like you're right. You get the people who are like, "Can I grab ten minutes for you for, for coffee?" And you're like, "Man, by ten minutes here and there, I will never have ten minutes." <laughs> I know. Like, I'll do like guest interviews or something on another show and people ask questions. Like I did this one and it was on machine learning and mm -hmm. I gave a five step. Like if you didn't know machine learning and you wanted to get into it, this is how you would do it. I just, you know, told them how I would go about it. Right. And then I get people that would reach out to me and be like, Oh, I loved your interview. Like how, how can I do this for myself? Like, and that's all they would say. And I'm like, I just don't even respond to it. But then, yeah. but then you get a person, the people I will respond to was, oh, I started doing this. I did A, B, C, and D. And on step three, I got really lost because you said this, but then this kind of happened. What do I do now? That person yeah, I respond exactly. to because they start, they, they're like, oh, this is smart. I should do this. They started putting time into it. They started executing on it. Then they hit this roadblock and they're like, oh, I need help now. Yeah. Those so, are the people that I have to see that it meant to them and I have to see that they put some time into it. If the 10 minute coffee with somebody you don't know, it's just like, I can't do that. I wish I could, but you know, time, time is not there. So help me with another thing, another piece of value here. Let's say that I, I want more, I want more, but I'm not, I don't have the confidence to ask, right? Like, so maybe we've got um, a high performing female engineer. Mm -hmm. And she's got her peers and people are getting promoted and she wants to get promoted as well. And she know she works really hard. She doesn't have a like she works hard at work. She's interested outside of work on growing and improving her skills, but she doesn't really know how to make this 
information tangible. She doesn't really know how to put it together in a package and show her leader how much she cares and that she wants more opportunity. How, how does she do that? So she's very good and she doesn't know how to work. Let me see if I understood correctly. This person is very good, wants to get ahead, but she doesn't know how to show it to the leader all day, all the successes that she's had. Got yeah, it? like how does she, yeah, how does she wrap that up and then have the conversation and then say, this is, look, look at what I'm doing. Okay, so I'll tell you the bad way of going at it and I'll tell you the good way of going at it, right? Perfect. So the bad way of going at it happened to me when I was at Deloitte. Um, they have a very good matching program for leaders and mentors, for uh, mentors and people who wanted to find a mentor. And they matched me with a mentor there. And he was a guy, I won't say his name. So by the time I had a meeting with him, I said, hey, we got matched up. We'd love to meet with you. Take me 10 minutes for a call. This is what I do. This is what I'm looking for. So we get to the meeting and I, he says, okay, what, you, what have you done? So I said, I have done this, a member of this group. I manage these people. These are the projects I've worked on. This is what I'm interested in. All, all this stuff, right? I will wait for the meeting. And then when I was done, five or 10 minutes later, he says, well, you're doing everything that you should do. I can't help you. You're already doing everything. I don't know what else you could do. And I'm like, excuse me? So yeah, I mean, I can't, you're already doing everything. You don't need a mentor. And then he left. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's not great. So I promised myself that I would never do that. So one of the things that I do here at Nightscope is um, I take ladies in, guys are welcome too. It just so happened that ladies come. I take them to watch a movie. I take them to uh, conferences and stuff like that. So if, if somebody is there and they want to be able to present a case to a manager to get promoted, the first thing that I would do is I would say, make sure you do the homework, like taking classes, taking training, figure out what you want to do, figure exactly what you're asking for. And if they don't know how, I will have no issue sitting with them and just going through uh, um, a conversation of what they're looking for and if that person is the right person to do that. But one of the things that I've done that is very useful is I keep, you know, a lot of people apply to work at Nightscope. Mm -hmm. So I have, a, I have a folder of what I call the good resumes. Ooh. So what I usually do is I give that to a person and I said, okay, this is what you will need if you're applying for that job. Give me your information in that format. So when they go talk to the person that they want help with, they have, hey, I did my, I did my homework. These are the things that I want you to consider. Here's a piece of paper that shows everything I've ever done. And that is in the format of one of those good resumes that I keep that are effective uh, and that con they, they convey a lot of information in a very small amount of time. So that's, that's what I would do. I would say, hey, make sure that you have something you've done. Put it in this resume format. Show it to the person that you wanted to talk to. They will always want to look at it. At least in my view, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, uh, I would like to show you what are the things that I've worked with. And it's a very concise document, one pager. Here you go. That's what I would do. So you make the intangible tangible. Yeah. Because otherwise, you can talk to them for however long, but... It, to me, at least, if you if you give me a resume, I'm going to read it, and it takes me a lot less time to read a two minute resume than it takes me that you will be able to explain to me what you're looking for. And it sounds like just the more it's a more professional interaction between humans too, because we can sit down, we can go over it, we can have a piece of paper to look at, we can discuss it. And then sometimes when people are, the thing that it helps a lot is because sometimes you have people who are either shy or, or they're introverts uh, and they get in front of somebody of power or a higher position that they have and then they just forget what they were going to say, right? But if you have this resume format of what you're looking for, all you have to do is point to it and then you got what you need. This is great advice. No, I like, I like you gave like three solid pieces of advice. That's Thank very you. helpful thank oh. you thank you i've just been doing it for a long time <laughs> no i love it and i actually wrote down the you said grace hopper the abby award the people that conference i'm going to look into more of that after because sure. i want to i just want to explore it and know what's going on in the leadership community nice yeah that's a great place i mean there's so many there's also from that when you go, I don't know if it was because I attended or because I got an award, but there's a mailing list that they have. It's called Sisters. It's mm -hmm. a group. 
Uh, and daily you get emails from women who are working on different projects, who are going through tough times that need advice. They're looking for somebody to mentor them. There's, there's a connection that you have if you sign up for the sisters group that goes way beyond just attending the conference. And uh, it was good for me uh, to learn, but it's also very good for people who are very young in their careers. They can get a lot of help that way. Yeah, one of my personal, I guess, maybe see more of like advisor, I guess mentor is kind of a similar word, but um, is a very successful female entrepreneur. And that's where I got a lot of the ideas about going out and speaking and networking is because that's what she's done to grow her business. And, and I think another part that I'm thinking about right now is that she knew me when I, like before I was born, you know? So oh, she's, dude. she was like a, like an aunt in the family, but not actually the aunt, you know, like really close. Yeah. She was my mom's best friend. Right. And so she took a different route. She did a business route and she built a furniture company and a furniture rental company. And it's actually like the largest one in Vegas. So they do all oh, the wow. events, they book like all the furniture when the event comes in, like the venue doesn't own all that furniture. They ship it in and they crane it in, you know, for rentals. And so she has this massive business that does that. And so I started asking her about like, how did you do that? Because her whole thing was like, I'm going to be a millionaire when she was 18. She just kept saying that. And by 23, she had one of the largest furniture rental companies in Vegas and has since grown it. And it still exists today and it's still huge. Awesome. And she's done like the HGTV shows and all the cool stuff. But uh, watching her and all the events that she did and all the groups and the associations, that gave me some insight as to what the people who are at the top are doing. Like it's important. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And one of the things that uh, I don't know, if, I don't know how this works for people who don't have that agreement. But when I was at Deloitte, they had an agreement with uh, Harvard University mm -hmm. for people to do online training. So I cannot emphasize for people who are listening to this enough. Get, if you want to get somewhere, prepare to get there. Figure out what it'll take to get there and do the homework. So when I was an individual contributor and I knew I wanted to at least give it a try to see what management was like, the first thing I did was to take management leadership classes at Harvard from the agreement they had with Deloitte. So in those classes were all my own time, at nights, weekends, all of that stuff. But um, they helped me a lot to, to know there's a lot of problem solving. There's a lot of, hey, this is a case that happened. This is the situation. What would you have done? So that was very useful, at least for me, when I, when I was trying to make the transition. So preparation is 90% is of how you get there. Yes. I love it. it. All right, we're going to end it on that because that was just like, that was like mic drop advice. I love it. <laughs> okay. Mercedes, awesome. thank you so much. <laughs> I, I'm so grateful for your time and that you came in to share. And I just, I can't say thank you enough. All awesome. right, thank you so much. Yes, have a fantastic day, Mercedes. All right, you too. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye.